American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about Mother Mary Bentivoglio, the woman responsible for bringing the poor Clares to the United States. She's another of a type we see a lot in American Catholic history. Religious women who came over from Europe to establish a religious community, only to have bishops and religious superiors really give them a hard time. The church was founded by God and by him was entrusted to human actors. So while it will never fail and it will never cease to be the perfect vessel of grace for all of mankind, that does mean that in its institutional workings, it is inclined to act like any other human organization, rather poorly. And all too frequently, the people who suffer the most at the hands of the church are those who love her the most and are most dedicated to living out her mission. A reason for this is that they usually are the ones most capable of being simply obedient, even when they believe the decisions of those in authority to be wrong. So those with more authority but fewer scruples have no problem or no difficulty taking advantage of them. But on the other hand, this also gives us great examples from these holy people of how to endure trials and injustices with forbearance and patience, and perhaps even with grace. Something I'm definitely still working on. Aren't we all? Mother Mary Magdalene Bentivoglio certainly was one who knew mistreatment and rejection, but she had her Italian dedication to her life's mission, and she would not be thwarted ultimately. So let's start by talking about where she came from, what life experiences prepared her for what she accomplished here in America. So Mother Bentivoglio was born Anna Maria Bentivoglio in 1834 in Rome. Her father was a nobleman and was an officer in the papal army during the Napoleonic Wars, eventually rising to the rank of general. He also was named governor of Rome. His wife, Anna's mother, was from a French aristocratic family. Anna was one of the younger of her parents' 15 children, all brought up in comfort and strictly in the Catholic faith. In 1851, when Anna was 17, her father died, and then nine years later, when she was 26, her mother died. Out of consideration for her father's service to the Papal States, Pope Pius IX took responsibility for Anna and her two remaining unmarried sisters, commending them to the care of Cardinal Eduardo Borromeo. Cardinal Borromeo did what was natural. He put them in a monastery. Absolutely. Anna was the youngest of the three at 26 years old. What else would a cardinal do with three lovely and eligible young women? And actually, the arrangement worked out. Life in a woman's religious community inspired their hearts and minds. But regular religious life wasn't enough for Anna and her sisters. Seeking an even more austere and prayerful mode of religious life, all three entered the poor Clare Monastery of San Lorenzo in Rome. The poor Clares are Franciscan nuns, but they are cloistered and lead lives devoted to prayer and poverty. They were founded in the 1200s by St. Clare of Assisi, an early follower of St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis recognized that women religious couldn't go about the countryside as the men could, so he aided Clare in setting up an order of nuns who would live the Franciscan charisms, but would do so within a cloister in lives devoted to prayer. The spiritual blessings that flow from these holy women of prayer 
prayer are immeasurable. If you ever have a serious prayer intention, commend it to cloistered women. It's like having a whole flock of importunate widows bothering the unjust judge on your behalf. Anna entered in 1864 and received her habit and her name, Mary Magdalene, in 1865. This began 10 years of prayerful devotion to God, but it was only to be 10 years. In 1875, the battles to unify the Italian peninsula into the new kingdom of Italy came to Rome. When Rome fell, the kingdom confiscated all church property and dissolved the religious establishments. The poor clares were suddenly without a home. But God has a way of providing. Just as the kingdom of Italy was literally closing the doors to the San Lorenzo Monastery, a foundress in America came calling with an open window. Of sorts. This was Mother Ignatius Hayes, the foundress of the Franciscan Sisters of the Immaculate Conception in Little Falls, Minnesota. Mother Hayes has an interesting story of her own, and we may do an episode about her one day. She had been an Anglican nun who converted to Catholicism. Now, she was a third-order Franciscan foundress, and her community was committed to teaching and to charitable works. And she was seeking more women to come back to Minnesota with her to aid in her work. So let's pause a moment and clarify at least a little what's going on with these different types of Franciscan women religious. Okay, so yes. So St. Francis's first establishment was the Friars Minor. So the Order of Friars Minor are the first order Franciscans. OFM. OFM. The Friars Minor are mendicant, which means they go about the town and countryside preaching and teaching and praying and doing charitable works. They live in community in a friary, but they are not confined to the friary for their work. Then Claire came along, as we mentioned previously, and her establishment was the second order to be established, so the poor Claires, as they are known, are second order Franciscans. They are confined to a cloister where they pray. They do not go out, teach, and preach, and do charitable works. The third order that St. Francis established was originally all those lay men and women who could not, for some reason or another, join one of the other two orders but who still wanted to live a Franciscan life. The Pope approved a rule for them to live, and many opted to live in community. Eventually, the Church recognized that some of these communities had taken on more of a religious character than a secular character, and so the Third Order was divided into the Third Order Secular, for those who remained secular, and the Third Order Regular, or T-O-R, for those who opted to take on a formal religious life with full religious vows. An important note, in the Third Order, both men and women are mendicant. The TOR women are not cloistered as are the second order. So TOR women are the sort who go out into the community to teach and to do charitable works. They were founded much later when the restrictions on women going out into the countryside were not as severe. The Third Order Regular has men's communities and women's communities, as you just mentioned, and we have both those men and women's Third Order Regular communities here in the Steubenville area where we live. The men's community, of course, runs Franciscan University of Steubenville, where I graduated from and where you worked for 12 years. Right. Uh, Franciscan University has had a tremendous impact on the church and on our own lives. Uh, but to return to the story, Mother Ignatius Hayes came over to Italy looking for women religious to join her community in Minnesota. It seems she asked for contemplative women, not mendicants, even though her work was active. She seemed to be looking to establish a contemplative community in her area. The Franciscan superiors approved, and Pope Pius IX specially selected Mary Magdalene Bentivoglio to be abbess of this new wave of Franciscans going to America, and he asked Mary's sister, Constanza, to be her vicaress. In obedience to the Holy Father, they began their preparations. 
They stayed for some time at a poor Clare monastery in Marseille, France, and a Franciscan priest, Paulino di Castellaro, was assigned to accompany them as their spiritual director and chaplain. Finally, in September of 1875, they sailed for the New World, arriving in New York City on Columbus Day, October 12, 1875. But almost immediately, things began to go sideways for them. Father Castellaro had grown wary of Mother Hayes' intentions, and he advised the sisters not to continue on to Minnesota with her. Somehow, he figured out that Mother Hayes wanted the poor Clares to maybe run a school, but this would be a violation of their vows as cloistered contemplatives and the charge that they had received from the Franciscan minister general. So they remained in New York. But they had nothing. Enter God's providence again. This time it was in the assistance of Father Isaac Hecker, a priest of some reputation about whom we will do an episode soon. They wrote to the minister general of the Franciscans asking what he wished them to do. In June of 1876, he finally sent them instructions that they were definitely not to go to Minnesota, but rather they should endeavor to establish themselves as a poor Clare monastery in one of three archdioceses, New York, Cincinnati, or Philadelphia. So that's what they did. Yes, they endeavored to anyhow. First, they approached John Cardinal McCloskey, the Archbishop of New York. He gave a reply we've seen in other stories, but one that still just baffles me. He told them that their contemplative vows were not compatible with the American way of life. Right. We saw this in episode 76 when we talked about the founding of Regina Laudis Abbey in Connecticut after World War II. Everyone warned Mother Benedict that an order of contemplative nuns wouldn't be received well in America. My first thought is to wonder why a bishop wouldn't want the spiritual power of a group of praying women. Goodness gracious. Anyone who doesn't appreciate the power of women at prayer hasn't read scripture. Martha and Mary's sorrow for their dead brother moved Christ to tears. Christ himself used the example of the importunate widow to encourage prayer. There were the women who went to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning who were the first to know of the resurrection. And of course, the Blessed Mother telling Jesus simply, they have no wine at the wedding feast of Cana. God is eager to hear the prayers of holy women. I don't understand why any bishop wouldn't fall over himself to have cloistered praying women in his diocese. Seriously. And my second thought while I rant is that, well, of course, cloistered praying women would seem odd to Americans. Cloistered praying women seem odd to anyone who sees merely with the eyes of the world. That's actually part of the point. They're supposed to be a sign to the world that there is something else more important than the world, and they are reserving themselves for that something else. If anyone made a remark about how odd it was for women to be cloistered and praying all the time like that, the bishop's response should be, yes, odd indeed, and thank God for their oddity. May we all be so odd for God. To be fair, some bishops also refused permission to groups like the Bentivoglio sisters because their dioceses were simply not able to support the women financially. Again, in episode 76, we talked about how the Bishop of Hartford was not inclined to allow Mother Benedict to establish the Abbey of Regina Lottis in his diocese until she had secured land and money to support it. This is also part of the response the Bentivoglio sisters got from the archbishops of New York, Cincinnati, and Philadelphia, all of whom refused their request. But they were undaunted. They wrote to more bishops all over the country looking for one who would take them in. Some bishops offered to accept them if they would form an active, rather than a cloistered, contemplative community. But the sisters were committed to their vows. Finally, a positive reply did come to them from the Archbishop of New Orleans. So they set off to the Deep South. They arrived in March of 1877 and took up residence in a small cottage while they began planning for a formal monastery. In short order, they even welcomed two postulants. 
They were finally feeling welcome and settled. But God had more challenges to throw their way. In July of that year, just four months after they arrived in New Orleans, the minister provincial of the Franciscans, that is, the friar in charge of Franciscan affairs for all first and second order Franciscans in the United States, ordered the poor Clares to leave New Orleans and relocate to Cleveland, Ohio. In obedience, they did this arriving in August. The residence awaiting them was a converted cigar factory. Then, to add to their challenges, just a few months later, the minister provincial informed Mother Bentivoglio that her monastery was to take in a group of German poor clares who had fled the Kulturkampf taking place in Germany. Taking in additional poor clares wasn't, by itself, the hard part. But the minister provincial didn't just order Mother Bentivoglio to take in more poor clares, he also ordered the nuns to adopt the modified poor clare rule that these German poor clares observed, the Colatine rule rather than the primitive rule which the community had been observing, and he ordered the poor clares to use German as the primary language within their community. It was these requirements that Mother Bentivoglio and her original community were very much opposed to and they let the minister provincial know it. The minister provincial's solution to the dilemma was to invite Mother Bentivoglio to leave Cleveland and either return to New Orleans or to find another place that would take them in. So they either had to abandon their original vows or go start all over again. What a great solution that minister provincial found. Sometimes the people in power in God's church make incredibly baffling decisions without any apparent concern for how they affect real people. Boy, howdy, ain't that the truth? Yes. (laughs) But since this is God's church and since Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, and since Mother Bentivoglio never lost faith that God would provide for her and her community, we can believe that the baffling decisions by the minister provincial was always going to result in a great good for Mother Bentivoglio and her community. That good came about when Mother Bentivoglio and her sister Constanza decided to split up the community and go in different directions across the country to find a new home. Yes, while Mother Bentivoglio went east to New York, Constanza went west toward California. But on the train heading toward Omaha, Providence smiled. The wealthy Catholic industrialist and philanthropist John A. Creighton was on that train and met Costanza. He was taken in by the poor Claire's plight, and he offered to finance the construction of a whole new monastery for the community in Omaha. Constanza immediately wrote to Mother Bentivoglio, who contacted the Bishop of Omaha. Since the sisters had the pledge of support from Creighton, the bishop agreed to have them come to Omaha, and the whole community reunited there in the middle of the country in August 1878. They'd been in the country just under three years and finally had assurance of a permanent home. They set about organizing efforts to raise funds for those things they would need that Creighton's pledge would not cover, and construction began on the new monastery. But since this is a story of overcoming adversity, the construction was not without hitches. On two separate occasions, the monastery, while still under construction, was destroyed by tornadoes. The third attempt succeeded, however. The situation was formalized by a papal bull issued by Pope Pius IX on November 15, 1881, canonically establishing the poor clear nuns of the primitive observance in the United States. Almost immediately, the community began to grow. By 1885, they had enough nuns to reestablish the monastery in New Orleans, and both Mother Bentivoglio and Constanza went to live there for two years to get it going and stable. They returned to Omaha in 1887, but their return was not welcomed by all. One troubled nun at Omaha accused both Bentivoglio sisters of irregular personal conduct, alcoholic intemperance, 
financial mismanagement, and acting without due deference to the bishop. These serious charges were presented to the bishop and even made it to the Vatican. The sisters were ordered to leave the monastery and to stay at the convent of the Sisters of Mercy. They were investigated for 19 months by the diocese, the civil authorities, as well as by a Vatican tribunal. Perhaps worst of all, for a time they were placed under interdict, which means that they were not allowed to approach the sacraments. Now, the investigations cleared both sisters of any wrongdoing, the interdict was lifted, and they were finally permitted to return to their monastery. This most grievous trial of their lives was over, but it was not the final trial for the Bentivoglio sisters. In 1897, Mother Bentivoglio, who was now 63 years old, established one more monastery, this time in Evansville, Indiana. She went to live there to help get it established, bringing seven nuns from Omaha. She appointed her sister Costanza to be its first abbess. This new monastery was built using money from a relative of one of the nuns, but it struggled mightily to raise money for furniture and essentials like food. They had nothing but the crates their stuff had been shipped in to use as furniture for about two years, and at times they survived on nothing more than bread and water. But what did that matter? They were Franciscans of the primitive observance. Extreme poverty was kind of their thing. The discomfort was something else they could sacrifice for the salvation of souls. Mother Mary Magdalene Bentivoglio died in Evansville in 1905, three years after her sister Constanza. Those present at Mother Mary Bentivoglio's deathbed said that during the last hours of her life, the crucifix in her room glowed and shone a light on her body. She was buried in the graveyard in Evansville. Two years later, in 1907, her body was exhumed and was found to be incorrupt. In 1929, the cause for her canonization was formally opened, which prompted a second exhumation, which happened in 1932. Once again, her body was found to be incorrupt. In life, she endured so much suffering, rejection, undue suspicion, and hardship that it is fitting that in death God would not let her suffer the indignity of bodily decay. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. And we ask you to consider supporting the work of SQPN. Yes, now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron. Thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter, when you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor to support all our shows, including American Catholic History, making your gift go even further. And we're more than halfway to our goal of $2,000 in new monthly pledges. Won't you help us close the gap? If you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now is the time. Visit sqpn.com give today. To learn more about Mother Mary Bentivoglio, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, please visit sqpn.com history. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. Because their diocese 
says. Dioceses. Because their dioceses were simply. Dioceses. Dioceses. Just because their dioceses were simply. Goodness gracious. Because their dioceses. Goodness gracious. Just say diocese. <laughs> <laughs>